everybody. Um, welcome to this week's podcast. We are going to be discussing uh, a really interesting movie, uh, Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin, which I believe is 2013. Is that correct? Yes, it is 2013. Um, Peter, do you want to give us a brief summary? You could either This could either take you two hours to summarize it, or you could do it in one sentence. Boy, this is a weird one. <laughs> That's my summary. No. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so um, Scarlett Johansson plays uh, some kind of alien in a female body that brings that um, finds men, brings them back into her, and sort of kills them, I guess, in this weird fluid. Then she has a some kind of existential alien crisis and uh, wanders around and. Um, provides us with a kind of a man-hating perspective about uh, humanity and then uh, ends up burned. Mostly a man-hating perspective. Mostly. Yeah. This movie's um, like, uh, you know, this movie's like, it's kind of like Alien meets like the French New Wave. <laughs> well, it's funny because it in many ways feels like it's an art film through and through. Uh, but it's got a A-list Hollywood star in it, which is sort of unart filmish, right? And plus, she's naked all the time, and it didn't even seem to really. I mean, I, I mean, look, I'm not. I let my subscription to the Enquirer, the National Enquirer, lapse, but uh, I would have expected this to have some buzz. I mean, this is like she's like a huge sex symbol, right? Well, I think that there was a lot of buzz about it, but I think that the opinions on it were very, very polarized. I think people loved it or they found it incomprehensible. I don't think too many people saw it. I think it didn't make much of a splash. Well, I can't imagine this had a wide release, but I remember when this came out, there was a lot of buzz about it. Wow, you must have been really close to the release to hear the buzz. No, yeah, I, I definitely remember when this came out. You know, you know what's interesting is this movie takes place in Scotland. Can you name another science fiction movie that takes place in Scotland? Mm, train spotting. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as science fiction. It's a little sci-fi, like a dash. Mm, it's like baby. a dash, <laughs> like um, the floating baby or the toilet, the two thousand one <laughs> in the toilet scene. I think you've seen train spotting more than I have. <laughs> it's like the toilet slit scan. Um, so the opening of this movie is the motorcycle rider who we believe is also an extraterrestrial takes, uh, the body of a dead girl who may or may not be an alien, uh, and brings it to Scarlett Johansson who's nude. And then, uh, she takes its clothes. Did you think that that was supposed to be the prior alien and she was just the next off the assembly line? Or do you think that was supposed to be a real person? I took it as it was a person in the beginning that she was that that somehow that's how she was just getting started. But I don't really know. I mean, there's a lot I of this movie. I thought it was a person in the beginning. And at the yeah. end of the movie, I kind of came to conclude that it was, in fact, her predecessor. It, it was the alien ahead of her who'd been killed. Yeah. Um, but look, there's a there's a lot unexplained in this one. Really? I mean. Why, what's the point of them being there? What happens with the fluid? What's the relationship with the motorcycle rider? Uh, why are they, why are they, you know, 
getting men anyway. Why does she freak out and start wandering around and disappear and the motorcycle people are chasing her? Well, I think that she freaks out because she starts to develop a little bit of a conscience. I think that the scene where the the man and the woman drown and she abandons the baby on the shore. She then sees the baby in the other car and makes a connection to the child being in distress. And then the events involving the disfigured man, I think, awaken some sort of tiny nascent empathy in her and she starts to doubt what she's doing. I don't think she gets beyond a nascent sort of empathy, but there's something there, and she she well, seeks to connect with people in a non-lethal way, if only briefly thereafter. Or maybe there's a maybe she's supposed to become more human, and this is supposed to happen somehow. Or maybe she's faulty. Well, and she abandons her mission. When she starts to have feelings, she tries to have sex with the man who helps her on the bus. Uh, She doesn't try to kill him. And then she completely falls off her script and is wandering the Scottish Highlands aimlessly, no longer attempting to abduct men in her van. Well, she doesn't do anything except hunt through most of the movie. And then when she goes off the rails... She completely goes off the rails and does nothing that does nothing the same anymore. I mean, she really just sort of wanders at that point. And the turning point is when, uh, you know, her MO is that she, she drives around, abducts men by virtue that she's a hot chick and that men are disgusting. Um, and brings them back and then undresses, luring them into this abandoned house where there's some kind of mind control or something going on. And they just kind of walk into this fluid that engulfs them and then some, and digest them. And they somehow, somehow become turns them into some sort of human essence product, some kind of goop. You don't really know what's going on and they never answer it. It's presented but, very abstractly, but the human innards are somehow shown being transmuted into a bright light. Yeah, there's this whole laser thing in the end that's right. I mean, first you see him kind of there's a trough of like human paste uh, that, that you know, goop that people end up becoming. And, uh, and then there's a bunch of lasers. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on with the lasers. But um, so she she gives up her mission and, you know, she wanders around. And I'm not sure... It's it's indefinite. I mean, clearly the viewpoint is they're trying to show what it looks like to be a human from the outside, you know, with she because she's a she's another viewpoint, and um, the the turning point is is clearly when she abducts the there's a there's a, a guy who's extremely. Uh, dis- his face is extremely disfigured, and he hides and he goes to the grocery store at night. And because he can't shop during the day for fear of harassment. Right. He's, he's hides himself under a hood and he, he tries to, right. He basically is uh, staying out of sight and she sort of, she seduces him the way she does everyone else. And something happens where she looks at herself in the mirror at the, at her, her lair 
the alien layer and then he runs away well he he somehow is liberated from the fluid she she gets him out and it shows that you can actually get out of the fluid which i thought was really interesting like it's not a one-way door into the the dark fluid yeah it's it's a very uh strange scene but clearly he's he's released or she does so- something in her behavior changes at that moment and that's kind of her turning point and from then on she she just wanders off i mean she really goes off the rails from that point to the and that's probably about two thirds through the movie um but i i think i think maybe we're just getting a little off topic i think some of this was i think we're debating concrete points whereas a lot of this movie is about tone it's about the way that she entraps the men you know the the title under the skin i mean her skin is what attracts people to her her looks you know she's unbelievably attractive and it's really it's her weapon but it's also her undoing at the end of the film and then when you find out what's actually under the skin it flips over everything you've been thinking the entire movie but i felt like when i was watching it that a lot of the movie was about fear and tension of her sort of wandering through or driving through scotland and these abductions are terrifying mm-hmm. like the the idea of walking into that black goo never to emerge mm-hmm. it's really done well and it's genuinely frightening i agree with you the men are somehow hypnotized because they don't seem to notice that she's standing on the top of the fluid on seemingly a solid surface, and they're vanishing into this onyx liquid never to be seen or heard from again. Yeah. No, I I mean, it's, it's clearly a lot of the movie is based on certain emotions and is, is not literal. You know, I mean, it's a, it's, it's metaphorical and it's trying to present feelings and themes of what it's like to be in the world now and what it's like to be, especially what it's like to be male and female. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's definitely a quite a sort of feminist kind of vibe to the movie in a way. I wouldn't call it sort of simple feminist, but there's a, there's an exploration of sexual attraction of what young women are in society and what men are like. The men aren't portrayed as, evil or horrible but she is presenting herself in an extremely seductive manner and the men are responding like the men are not minus the last one per se uh, the men are not trying to be cruel to her except for the i guess the logger at the end but she is you know she is using her wiles to ensnare them well they're sort of more or less creepy to an extent except for the guy on the bus who's kind of the only really nice one um, Correct. And then he gets a chance to actually be nice to her. Yeah. And, and he's but he of, also meets her when she's already starting to doubt herself and her mission. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, he, he, he does the classic gentleman movie, you know, he carries her across the puddle, you know, and walks through the water <laughs> for her. I like that the puddle is about six inches deep, like he gets soaking wet. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's showing he's a real gentleman. But the, the, you're seeing him do that after you've seen her 
kill man after man after man. Yep. Some of them you, you see her kill in the black pool. She kills the, the swimmer by hitting him on the head with a rock right. while he's attempting to rescue drowning people, all of whom die. Yeah. And he, by the way, that dog scene is terrifying. That scene where the, the man and the woman swim out to try to rescue the dog. Unbelievable. It shows I, you, by the way, in a movie that sparingly uses effects to, to a, a very, very good effect, how that scene, which has no effects in it at all, might be the best scene and the scariest scene in the movie. Well, when, when they go back and it, you know, it's like 12 hours later and the parents are, have drowned and the, the kid who's like a year old is sitting there screaming still and you know, you know he's going to die. Maybe the tide's going to come in. He'll die of exposure or get lost and fall in a hole or something. And that's, uh, man, that was a tough one to watch. It's extremely upsetting. That scene was rough. The whole movie is extremely upsetting. Yeah. Uh, It's it's kind of, um, it's not like watching, you know, Eddie Murphy in the uh, vinyl suit (laughs) talk about... uh, um, you know, Aunt <laughs> Bonnie. How did you go from this? Aunt to Bonnie and the and the barbecue. Um, uh, I read a great interview with, uh, I believe, Chris Audi, who was the production designer, and he said that this thing took ten years for them to put together, and it was filmed chronologically, with one or two exceptions. Almost the entire movie is filmed chronologically. the The black void is not CGI; it's a set. And it was a liquid and Scarlett Johansson was standing on black glass sheets and they had the actors walk into the pool and they had designed the pool so that it wouldn't overflow so that it would only outflow exactly as much water as the men were displacing. So the surface didn't really appear to move. It doesn't swell up or splash over the sides and it gave it this incredibly eerie, disturbing effect as they just vanished Right, it, it looks viscous. Naked, so they look incredibly vulnerable. Yeah, and, and you're not sure, you know, they seem to be outdoors even though they're in in this this dilapidated house. So there's some weird yeah, space-time thing going on in there. It's it's you know, it's I, like going in the TARDIS. I definitely give Scarlett Johansson credit for doing this. I think a lot of A-list actors or actresses would absolutely have run screaming from this. But this is a pretty brave decision for her to do this movie. It doesn't portray her in a good way. She's the villain. She kills people. Like This is everything that she doesn't do in her other movies where she's usually the lovable temptress. But uh, they're remaking this with Matt Damon. You didn't hear about that? Oh, um, the, the scenes where she abducts the man, I don't know if you read about this, the scenes where she abducts the men are virtually all unscripted. Yeah. So and they, they use the amateurs. Right. So they wired this van that she drives around with, with, I believe eight cameras and the cameras were all extremely small. All this movie was filmed with special small cameras, some of which they invented just for this movie. And she would drive around and have unscripted interactions with men and if the interaction was interesting or went well they would then approach them afterwards and get their permission to get them in the movie now clearly some of them are actors because when you see them walking naked into the pool later 
those must be actors. But a lot of her interactions on the streets are completely genuine, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it's right. That's it's art film through and through. I mean, it's, you know, it's got that uh, Godard kind of uh, vibe to it, especially because it's unscripted like, like he was, you know, um, and uh, it gives it a sort of a, it gives it a, um, a very gritty feel doing that. And they do it in, in relatively moderate short doses, but it gives it grit for sure. Um, my problem is that it's, it's kind of slow. Um, I mean, it's supposed to be slow, right? It is slow. And it wasn't at all what I was expecting. I definitely about half an hour into it realized I had to change all of my expectations about the pacing of this movie. Meaning you had to like have six beers to keep going. <laughs> uh, Dan Landon, who was the director of photography, uh, talked about in an article that I read that they wanted to do a lot of her driving around. And most movies where they drive around, you know, the car is actually on the back of a flatbed truck or something being driven with a camera in front of it. And they, they just felt that there's no way they could capture the sense of her actually driving by doing that. So they basically abandoned all the typical ways of doing it in favor for the van. And the van itself, by the way, is, I think, a symbol. I mean, I think most people know that a lot of serial killers drive around in vans that they can do whatever in the back of the van or abduct people. I think just the fact that it's a van is scary, even though she doesn't really do anything in the back of the van. She always has them up front with her. Right, but she, no, when she she throws them in the back of the van sometimes. Who'd she throw in the back of the van? The diver? Yeah, like him. And then is, isn't there, I think the girl in the beginning who maybe, you know, the, the replacement alien girl. Well, but the motorcycle guy grabs her. Yeah, but I think he throws in the back of the van. Yeah, I don't in remember. The beginning. But no, the van, I mean, they just should have made it blue or black. Um, like John Douglas well, but always it's scary, said. Right, but it's scarier <laughs> if it's white because it's like, it's pure. And it's actually no, that was that was a, a John Douglas uh, uh, reference. You, you were making a mind hunter joke. Yeah, that's a really obscure one. <laughs> um, I don't know. I right around the middle, I started to flag with it a little bit, and then the last half hour, I couldn't take my eyes off it. It really. I agree. It picks up at the end. I know that you were struggling a little bit. We spoke on the phone earlier, and I was like, keep going, keep going. The payoff is worth it. Well, you talked so, to me when I was fashioning the noose. And, you oh, know, you, yeah, you talked me down and, um, but cause I started fashioning the news after about 15 minutes. I think you lasted longer than I did. And then I had to carry on till about, but the last like quarter or third of the movie is incredible. Yeah. It gets much better. I mean, it really, well, she has the failed sexual encounter with the man, you know, the whole movie, she's leading men on with the promise of sex. And then when she actually tries to have sex, she can't and he he can't complete the act. And then there's a great scene of her uh, using a lamp to examine herself and reaching a frightening conclusion, which also sort of, I think, stimulates her to go wandering because she's in shock. She doesn't know what she is. Hmm. Um, and she I'm going to give a so spoilers, spoiler warning to the audience. So she wanders out into the woods. She finds what I believe is referred to as a pro he which is a, a public shelter that anyone can use. She comes across a logger. He essentially tries to rape her, uh, and the rape goes sour. And uh, in the process of them scuffling, he tears her skin. Like, he tears her literal skin, and uh, she has to essentially remove it, and she is revealed to be 
a completely black uh, humanoid, and it's very unclear whether this is the true form of her and she's an alien or if she's an automaton. And I actually kind of think she's an automaton. She's some sort of AI robot. I don't know. And yeah, you don't know for sure. That's just my opinion. And then uh, as she is revealed in this unbelievable effect and moment of horror, she's literally pulling her own skin off and she's holding the face of Scarlett Johansson, which is looking at her and blinking. Yeah, uh, which is the, also weird. The logger pours gas on her and burns her to death and the movie ends. And she, well, it ends with her kind of smoldering and the snow coming down. A la Blade Runner 2049, but better. And you're left to wonder, you know, is she the 12th incarnation of this character that they've made for their alien purposes? Or is is, is she the last one that's going to make? My suspicion is that they're just going to make another. And again, to bring it back to what we said earlier, I do think that the girl in the beginning was just another alien object, whatever she was, whether it's an alien or some sort of robot or mecha. Uh, well, her skin but, was intact. Right, but maybe she died of a different reason. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought the ending was tremendous, mostly because I absolutely did not see it coming. But it really it plays the title under her skin in a whole other way that you're not expecting. Again, see, the, I, the movie, I think, is very much about her looks and her skin as her weapon, but it also becomes her undoing. Because when she's revealed to be what she really is, she's taken down pretty easily. Yeah, but you know how there's no word for misogyny about men, you know? There there's a really man there's a feeling of unease about male female sexual relations in this movie and about kind of what is attractive, what is sexual, what is predatory in men, what is you know, it's it's a uh, it's it's a little creepy. Well, and it's all left undecided and up in the air. You don't really know if these men are bad men or they're just average guys who are hitting on a hyper attractive female or like they're not portrayed as evil. These men, they're just portrayed as horny, which is a different thing. Yeah, but they're also most of them are a little creepy. And then there's that kind of gang that attacks the van. When she starts a, to go off the rails. Well, that's true, too. But there's there's an odd nature to her interaction. You know, she's driving around alone in a van. Yeah. And she's inviting men to ride along with her. I mean, clearly, she's propositioning them. And she's just sitting there. And nobody ever asks her how much. Well, and she doesn't come across as a prostitute per se. Well, the good ones never do. <laughs> Um, that's why that's what costs more money <laughs> come on and the moment we all went off the rail um you know what's interesting is she's kind of zoftig in this movie yeah uh, you know she's not always like that scarlett johansson she, you know like for example if you see her in ghost in the shell she's uh much more buff and trim like this is a very curvaceous scarlett johansson and, and her clothing is made to accentuate it i believe her that's a wig on her, and the wig also sort of plays it up because it's short and tousled. Like, she looks racy. Yeah. Um, two, two Star Trek call-outs. Um, <laughs> wow. I thought if there's one movie 
you maybe couldn't squeeze Star Trek into, it would be this one. Well, there's there's two 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 things that sort of struck me. One is um, there is a first season episode of the Next Generation called, ironically, called Skin of Evil. Um, it's actually Tasha Yar's last episode, but oh, it has yeah, a yeah, yeah. very, very similar Blackpool effect. Right. Uh, done, you know, 30 years ago, but very similar in the idea of being pulled down into this Blackpool from which you possibly can emerge, but probably can't, is portrayed in a very similar way. And interesting that both have the word uh, skin in the title. Well, then, then, you know, that was really creepy because that thing took um, – um, what's her name? Denise Crosby's career disappeared into that black fluid and never, <laughs> never got out. It, was, it really was a black hole, that fluid. <laughs> you know who wrote that episode, by the way? Uh, that episode was written by Joseph Stefano, who uh, – I don't know if that rings a bell for you, but he basically was the showrunner of The Outer Limits in the 60s. And if you watch it, it really feels much more like an Outer Limits episode than a Star Trek episode. The other call out um, to Star Trek that this reminded me of, I thought that one of the best scenes in the movie is when she eats the cake because this is her trying to explore her humanity a little bit. And she takes a bite of the cake and you think they're prepping you that she's going to somehow find this cake to be delicious and rewarding. And she's going to look around and realize, my God, this is what they're doing. And she can't eat it. And my suspicion is she doesn't have an esophagus. Like she puts the food in her mouth and there's nowhere for it to go. And she has to spit it out. But there's a very similar scene. There's an episode of Voyager uh, called body and soul where through a convoluted, it's sort of a comedy, but through a convoluted series of events, uh, the holographic doctor has to upload his program into seven of nine's uh, Borg implants. So he basically takes over her body and there's a scene where he eats for the first time uh, that's done for laughs. But it has sort of similar ideas like she's looking around at the humans. She gets to try to eat. He gets to try to eat for the first time. They have obviously very different responses, but uh, clearly uh, very similar concept done in a completely different show and a different outing. But we can't have an episode where we don't talk about Star Trek just a little. <laughs> I agree with you, though. Um, I mean, I'm looking at my notes. I definitely agree with you that the hooligan scene is meant to be very, very frightening. And she's just assaulted by a gang of men for no reason. There's a lot of creepy young men in this. I mean, like, really, the the only one that is truly good is is the guy from the bus who really tries to kind of treat her well in a normal way. Although and the disfigured man is not mean to her. No, he's not. He, he's, he's extremely frightened and vulnerable. He's basically yes. the elephant man. Yes. Um, and But that's that's know, where she changes. Having first experience, you know, l- l- touching a female in God knows how long. Right. Probably forever. But, you know, the scene, the two scenes, the one with the cake and the one where she basically is doing the um, female empowerment uh, speculum with the mirror, the light. Uh, you know, let's inspect our vagina scene where, um, you know, those two scenes, she is, they're sort of the pinnacle of her going off the rails because she like, just, just like you said, uh, she's, in, she's trying and evaluating herself and is confused, I would say. Right. Because and, the cake scene, the sex scene and the scene where she's looking at her own face after she's removed it, all of those scenes bespeak to the idea that she doesn't know what she is. 
Right. Um, Which, again, that that's why I think she's some sort of automaton. Like, but, she's a robot. But all that's sort of an allegory for, a, you know, a beautiful woman who is seen only for her exterior qualities, isn't sure what she is, you know, what... What do people like in her? Or what What does she Absolutely. really have? You know, does she really have anybody interested in her? They just want, you know, they just want uh, to grab at her. Um, you know, and what do men do and expect from her? And what do they want from her? And, you know, most of them, right under the surface, un- when you get under politeness, there's only desire. Under the skin. Just, just past, just past the the men's service. There's only, there's really, there's only really lust, except for the the guy on the bus. Um, the guy on the bus, and I don't know. I don't know if you can say that the disfigured man. No, you're right. He's driven he's by different. lust. He's driven by loneliness, which yes. is different. Like yes. you don't get the sense that he is wants to have sex with her because he doesn't think it's within the realm of possibility. He's happy. He's thrilled just to be talking to her. Yeah. And, and those she, two get away. She ramps it up to a crazy level by letting him touch her face, which is supposed to be an incredible thrill for him. Right. You know, although I'm, he, although he doesn't get away. He's I guess not. captured by the motorcycle rider and stuffed uh, in a trunk, stuffed in a trunk and presumably thrown back into the, uh, the pool with Denise Crosby's career. Maybe. Yeah. I wonder if he finds it. would be funny it. if Denise Crosby emerged from that, though. That's interesting. <laughs> Wearing the uniform. <laughs> the spandex. Um, I haven't seen this guy's other movie, Glazer. He made um, Sexy Beast, um, which I've never seen. And he made that movie with Nicole Kidman where her her son may be her reincarnated dead husband. I can't remember what it's called, but I've never seen either of those. And I don't know if he's made a film since this, but this was definitely uh, made me want to go back and see other stuff that he's done. I guess apparently he's mostly known for commercials and music videos. I read an interview with him and he basically said that he used those to pay his rent. Like he didn't speak about them with a lot of passion, but he spoke about making feature length movies with tremendous verve. But I think that the others were just sort of meal tickets for him. The score also by uh, Michael Levy is weird and interesting. And, and frightening. Uh, upsetting. Scary. It's scary. It's it's very percussive and uh, very good. Discordant. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. This is one I think, you know, I want to see it again in like a year. I, I think it's another one, especially now that I know what's at the ending, I need to kind of you know, watch it with different eyes again, sort of, and, I and see went it. Back, I watched it, and then I went back and I watched a couple of the key scenes again. I would like to read the book. Apparently, the book is significantly different, uh, but the book is apparently, I'm told, quite good. So mm. I think I'll probably buy that off of Amazon and give that a read. I don't know. I, I definitely came away extremely impressed by it. I mean, I like mainstream films. I like art films. This was a weird hybrid of both. Uh, in every way, it's an art film, yet I kept thinking, oh, there's Scarlett Johansson. Yes, but that's and, pretty and much the only... And it's also daring, I think, that they use so little dialogue. I always think that that's a brave and hard thing to pull off. There's no speaking at all until 15 minutes in this movie, and I think you could condense all the dialogue in this movie down to about 10, 12 minutes. 
most of the movie is completely silent or at least with no dialogue. That's that is hard to pull off and they did it. Well, they pull it off because they kind of pull it out in the end, but it's the first time watching it through. It's it takes you got to stick with it. It's it's kind of monotonous. Well, like I said that the reviews were very mixed on this and when this was screened at I think the Venice Film Festival, it literally got half applause, half booze, which the director said he didn't really know how to interpret that. Interesting. I, I, well, I definitely liked it. Uh, we should check out Sexy Beast. I haven't seen that, but maybe that should be uh, another podcast for us. I think that's with uh, Ben Kingsley. Well, now that we've spoiled the ending for anybody who hasn't seen it, and not too many people have seen it, then I think it may be easier but, to sit through. So it's probably it's probably good to sit through with having had it spoiled. if you're struggling in the middle, stick it out, because the last 10 minutes is absolutely an incredible payoff that's worth it. Yeah, even the last 20, you know, it's, it's just uh, it's interesting. All right. All right, should we wrap there? Yeah, let's. All right, everybody, we'll be back uh, next week. We're going to do uh, another Scarlett Johansson movie for our Scarlett Johansson uh, duology. See you next time.